are gracious and wonderful and, and beautiful and powerful and holy and perfect God. And I thank you for Jesus Christ. I thank you for the blessings that are ours because of him. Your word tells us in the book of Ephesians that we have been granted every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And Father, I, I don't think, at least I know for myself, I don't always think about that. It's so easy to think about what's going on today or to think about the, today's trouble or, or what might happen tomorrow instead of the fact that we are so extremely blessed just because we know you. And so I pray, Father, that with that heart and with that attitude, that we would continue to worship you as we look into your word today, that we would seek you and have a desire to hear you and to bring you glory from this time. In your precious name we pray. Amen. In the first part of Hebrews chapter 9, we focused on how the tabernacle and then eventually the temple pointed to Jesus Christ, as does all of Scripture. We also looked at the limitations of the earthly service, how Jesus obtained our eternal redemption by his sacrifice to bring us into the presence of God, becoming the mediator of the new covenant, which we looked at extensively back in chapter 8. Today, we will continue with this theme of Jesus as our mediator of the new covenant, which leads, of course, to eternal redemption for those who believe in him. So Hebrews chapter 9, verse 16. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So where there is a testament, and this word means a disposition or a covenant or a will that divides. Think of a last will and testament. In order for that testament to be put in place, you have to have the death of the testator. And every time I say that word, I think of potatoes. I don't see taters. Right? Not the death of the testator tot, just the testator. I got a couple chuckles, thank you. Um, you don't have to laugh at my jokes. They, they're mostly to make me happy. Um, but there must be the death of the testator. That is the channel of the act. So think of it this way. In order for God to apply the new covenant of grace and salvation to us, Jesus had to die as the channel through which 
salvation could be applied to all of us who believe. I'm going to say that again because there's a lot. That's, that's, a, that's a hefty sentence. In order for God to apply the new covenant of grace and salvation to us, Jesus had to die as the channel through which salvation could be applied to all of us who believe. Recently, the national anthem of England changed, right? For the last, what, what, what her reign was, 72 years, give or take? Well, so for the last 70 or so years, it had been God Save the Queen. Well, the moment she died, Charles became king. Now, I don't really follow the royal family, um, but what was interesting to me is that according to English law, the moment she died, he became king, right? Because I don't even think he's been coronated yet, but it doesn't matter. The moment she took her last breath, Charles was king. And they changed the theme song of England to God Save the King. Now, interestingly enough, I saw several quotes that came out concerning Queen Elizabeth, and it would appear she was a Christian, that she believed in the Lord. I thought that was very cool. I, di I didn't know that about her, but um, that's the idea. We could not be saved until Jesus died. Now, we get this Old Testament example. When God established the Mosaic or Levitical covenant with Israel, what did he do? He had Moses sprinkle everything with blood. Right? And, and we read about that in here. Um, according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with, with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop. He sprinkled the book. He sprinkled the people. He sprinkled the tabernacle. He sprinkled the vessels. He sprinkled all of it in order to establish that covenant. And you can read about that if you're interested in doing so in Exodus 24, verses 1 through 8. And that quote in verse 20 is from there. This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. That's from Exodus 24, verse 20. And then we get to this amazing verse, verse 22. And according to the law, almost all things are purified, purified, purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. So almost all things are purified or cleansed with blood, which is odd for us, isn't it? I don't know about you, but if you get a bloody nose and it lands on your shirt, you don't go, wow, my shirt is clean. <laughs> right? That's not the first thing that comes to mind. No, you're running in, you're getting the spray and wash out, and hoping that it doesn't ruin your shirt. Different kind of cleanser, uh, different kind of cleansing. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And that word means forgiveness. Now, almost all things, which means there were things that could not be purified with blood. In the Old Testament, there is an example of that. Um, if you had leprosy in your house, there was no sacrifice for that. You would actually burn the house down. 
to make sure that the leprosy didn't spread. So there were things that couldn't be purified with blood. So does that still apply today? Are there still things that can't be purified? I keep saying purified. I'm going to try not to do that anymore. Are there still things today that cannot be purified with blood? Only one that I know of. And that is the person who rejects Jesus Christ. It's the only thing I know of today. Because the purpose of the law was to show us the necessity of death to bring about the forgiveness of sin. The purpose of the law, one of them anyway, was the ne- to show us the necessity of death to bring about the forgiveness of sin. We see this all the way back in the garden. We can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve, right? Well, Eve was deceived and then Adam blew it. And they try to sew fig leaves together and cover themselves, which I can't imagine was comfortable. But we should never be comfortable in our sin. There's a whole sermon there. Um, God shows up in the garden and they hide. And they hide from God. And God says, where are you? Did God know where they were? Of course God knew where they were. He was trying to get them to confess. Where are you? Well, we heard your voice in the garden and we were afraid because we were naked. God said, who told you you were naked? He already knew the answer. He actually continues. Who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the tree I told you not to eat from? And then passing the buck begins, right? Adam goes, the woman that you gave me. That's my favorite part. It's not just that it was Eve's fault. It was God's fault for giving him this woman. The woman that you gave me. Gave me of the fruit and I did eat. He looks at the woman. What'd you do? Uh, uh, It was the snake. The snake made me do it. But by the end of that chapter, it says that God replaced their fig leaf outfit with animal skins. Their sin was covered by the death of an animal. Now, my best guess can't prove it because the Bible doesn't say it. My best guess is that it was a lamb. Best guess. And it was their sin that caused the first death. And then it continued on from there. But without blood, there cannot be forgiveness. Galatians chapter 3, verse 22. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. It's the purpose of the law. We don't keep the law in order to be saved. We've talked about that a lot. We are saved by faith through grace. It's a gift of God. But an understanding of the law will always point us to Jesus Christ. Because it will always show us what sin looks like. It will always show us 
the consequences for that sin, and then it will point us to the only one who can pay that consequence on our behalf. And that, of course, is Jesus Christ. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, we read, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, walking in the light in that passage is being obedient to the gospel. Walking in the light of the truth of the gospel in Jesus Christ. But the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And then Revelation 1.5. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own It's the only way. It's the only way. And the whole purpose of the law was to show us that that's the only way. Pick up in verse 23. Therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood, with the blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So over the last few weeks, we have contrasted Jesus' perfect priesthood with the limited human priesthood. We have contrasted the heavenly sanctuary, the throne room of God, which is the true, with the limited copy of the earthly sanctuary, which was just a picture. It was symbolic. We once again now turn to the contrast between the limitations of the earthly sacrifice to Jesus' perfect sacrifice by which he appears in the presence of God for us. So this sacrifice is not a repeated sacrifice, but it was once for all. We studied this at length in chapter 7, verses 26 and 27, where it says, Such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. There is no repeated sacrifice. It's not necessary. When Jesus died on the cross, 
he cried out to Talisa, which is a beautiful Greek word. In English, they always translated it as finished. But what it really means is paid in full. Our debt paid in full. Nothing we can add to it. We don't even chip in a few quarters to add to the tip. It's paid in full. Done, complete, nothing else can ever be done. And I think this is a huge issue that we see in our world today, is that people want to add something to Jesus Christ. Right? They say, well, yeah, you got to believe in Jesus, but you also have to give X amount at church. You know, if you don't give a dollar to this church ever, but you believe in Jesus Christ, you'll still go to heaven. Well, my elders just cringed a little bit. No, they didn't, actually. I know they agree with me on that. Do you know if... Oh, I'm going to get in trouble. Do you know if you never attend church, but you believe in Jesus Christ, truly? That, that's what will get you into heaven. I love that you're sitting in these seats this morning. I love looking out at all your smiling faces, wondering how long this is going to go on. But this doesn't save you. You know, I don't care how many good deeds you do in our community. Show up for the Walk for Life next week. You should show up for the Walk for Life next week. It's going to be awesome, and it's an important thing. But you know, if you don't show up, you're still going to go to heaven if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now, I could continue on this line for a long time. Because in the end, there's only one thing that gets us in. And that is the blood of Jesus Christ. One perfect sacrifice. So why would we ever want to do anything else? Why would we ever think we could add to it? Now, I'm going to put the little caveat in there. Should you go to church? Of course you should go to church. Should you go to this one? Yes. <laughs> I have a personal bias. I'm sorry. Should you give to your church and support the work there? Sure. Absolutely. Whatever the Lord puts on your heart, because God loves a cheerful giver. You know, we're, none of us are ever going to show up at your door and go, you know, we were looking over your giving statement, and now that we're in December, I'm pretty sure you haven't given 10% yet. I heard of a church. I think I brought this up before, but this one really made me mad. That was requiring their members to give a copy of their taxes every year. To make sure that each of those members was giving 10%, minimum. You know, if I ever ask anything like that, just lynch me and get it over with. I, I would never do that. That's disgusting to me. I don't care what you give. I don't even know what you give. I refuse to look at it. Because that's not what's important. Should you serve? Yeah. Right? Should you serve your community? Should you serve in the church? Of course you should. Not in order to get saved, but because you are. Our motivation is the love of Jesus Christ. And because he loved us so much that he did this for us, then we should do all these other things. But never, ever, ever think, well, I'm good now. I gave enough this month, so if I die this month, I'll be saved. Or I attended three out of four Sundays, so if I die this month, I'm okay, because that's not how it works. It says that Jesus then 
went into the presence of God for us. And I love that. This, again, is something that we have studied at length. Uh, as the way to the Father is through Jesus Christ. 7.25 told us that. John 14.6 tells us that. That he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And I absolutely love that picture. You know, there's people in the world that we don't have access to. Right? How many of you, you know, can call our governor on, and just say, you know, I feel like talking to Governor Paulus today. I'm going to dial the phone and he'll answer. I'm not saying you'd want to. I'm just saying, could you? Or our president. Or what if you go, you know, this thing going on over in Europe, I'm going to call Putin and give him a piece of my mind. You think Putin's going to answer your phone call? He doesn't care about you. Right? And these are people that the world deems, quote unquote, important. But we can go to the God of all creation, to Almighty, all loving, all present, glorious in majesty, perfect in holiness. We can go to Him anytime we want, but not on the earth, only through. And it says that he has appeared at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Right? He doesn't have to suffer often, but just once at the end of the ages. He appeared to put away sin. This phrase at the end of the ages means that the completion or consummation of time, Jesus appeared to put away sin. The completion or consummation of what time? Well, the Mosaic and Levitical covenant. Jesus completed it and then consummated it in himself through his sacrifice. He told us this in Matthew 5, 17 and 18. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one yacht or one tittle will by no means pass from the law Till all is fulfilled. See, people love to think, oh, well, you know, Jesus got rid of the law. No, he didn't. He fulfilled the law. And that's different. Right? Because to get rid of it would be to ignore it. You can ignore any law you want to. There will be consequences for it. Right? But you can say, you know what? I know the speed limit says 75, but I don't care. I'm going to go 99. I ever told you the story in the middle of the pandemic about the cop who let me go? Have I told that story? So in the middle of the pandemic, and this is horrible, we had a friend who works for the state patrol, and he told me that the state patrol actually issued an order that police were not to pull anybody over unless they were going above 100 miles an hour to minimize contact. They weren't allowed to pull over big rigs that had violations because the supply chain was interrupted and they didn't want us, they, were, they, they suspended all laws regarding transportation. So if you were a truck driver and you drove 19 hours straight without any sleep, they, they couldn't make you stop. They didn't check your logs. If your brakes weren't working, they didn't stop you, right? I'm not saying any of this was a good idea, but unfortunately he told me. 
And I'm like, well, as long as I keep it under 100, I'm going to get pulled over. We were driving from Branson up to Trinidad when we lived down there. And if you've ever driven on that road, it's in the middle of nowhere, and it's mostly straight. And I used to just go. But the speed limit was 65. I was doing 88 miles an hour in a 65 zone. I'm not proud of that. It was wrong. And all of a sudden, I see a state patrol car coming the other way. I'm like, it's too late. I can't slow down. There's nothing I can do. He's already got me. Flashed his lights, and I waved to acknowledge that he flashed his lights. And he kept going, and so did I. As I slowed down, I'm looking at my mirror like, dude never even skipped a beat. He didn't even think about turning around because I was going under 100 miles an hour. He did flash his lights at me. Now, does that change that what I did was wrong? I didn't set aside a law. I broke a law. Jesus didn't set aside the law. He didn't pretend it wasn't there. He also didn't break the law. He broke it. Perfect. That's what it means that he consummated it or he completed it in himself. And why? Well, he did this in order to put away sin. You see, the sacrifices of the Old Covenant temporarily covered sin. Jesus' sacrifice put away sin. The word in Greek is athetasis. Athetasis. And it means to cancel to bring to nothing, to neutralize and disannul. Jesus' perfect sacrifice dealt with sin once for all time for all of us who believe in him. His sacrifice is sufficient, all sufficient, to save everyone who will come to him. Colossians 2, 13-15. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Think about it. All the Old Testament could do is cover it up. You know, think about a wound. You cut, you cut your arm or something. What do you do? You cover it up. Well, you know, it's foreign bandages. Does that heal your wound? Gets it out of the way. Makes it so you can't see it. Makes it so you don't get blood everywhere. But does that heal it? No. Most people will say, oh, well, the body heals itself. What a unfortunate belief. Who heals us? God. Yeah, he's the one who created our bodies. And yes, there are systems within our bodies that work to cause that healing. But that's not an evolutionary advantage. That is a divine gift. That is the difference between working for your salvation with all those animal sacrifices and resting in the free gift of Jesus Christ. 
All those animal sacrifices could do was cover it up. And only temporarily. But what Jesus did was permanent. And complete. And it doesn't cover our sin. It literally takes it away. That's why the Bible says that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far I've cast your sin from you. It is now, I've thrown it in the depths of the ocean and I remember it no more. That is the promise of God for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ. Verse 27. And it is appointed for men to die once. But after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. In the end, this is the choice each of us is presented with. The truth and the fact of the matter is we will all die. And we will all die at an appointed time after which comes judgment. At this time, we will either know Jesus and be saved, or we will not, and we will be judged. So it's appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. And I actually find this very comforting. Because there's a set time for each of us to die. And because of God's omniscience, he knows and has appointed each of our specific time of death. None of us will die before or after he has appointed for us. Now, I know that can be really hard to hear. Because some people die much younger than we think they should. And some people live a lot longer than we think they should. Ah, we're just being honest here, folks. And the reality is that's, that can be hard for us to accept. Because I can't answer the question about why this person died and that person didn't. This morning, we're praying uh, for a friend, uh, actually a church member who's not here today, but their cousin's having a baby. The baby was in distress. They couldn't find the heartbeat. And so we went to prayer, praying that God would intervene. But it's not up to us. That's hard. That's hard for me to accept. But I'm like that, so I have to. But it should be comforting for each of us to know then that our lives are firmly in his hands. So maybe we don't understand it. Maybe we don't like it. Maybe we're even angry with him over it. But it doesn't change that our lives are in his hands. We sang that song from life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. I remember the song lyrics. It's not common for that should be very comforting to us. Because if the Lord tells you, go here, right? We support missionaries all over the world. We have a missionary in, in Africa. Um, we support a missionary, a friend of ours in the Philippines. We know of missionaries. I, we met a missionary a few months ago who got kicked out of India. But when you go to a place that is openly hostile to Christianity, where Christians get killed by mobs, 
And God says, go there. Well, you, you best be trusting this verse. Because if it's not my appointed time, I'm not going to die. And if it is my appointed time, I can't stop it. And why would you want to? I mean, I don't want to get morbid, but we're all going to die. If that's news to you, I'm sorry, but it's true. Because we were never meant to live permanently in a fallen state. If Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, then they could have lived forever in that body. But they did sin. And God didn't want to leave us in this state forever. So he allows us now to die. It's actually merciful. Because then we get to shed this body. We get to put on a new body. And we get to spend eternity with him. Now I'm going to tell you this. When we get there, I've had people say this to me. Well, when I get there, I'm going to ask God about. When we get there, we're going to know. We're going to understand all the things that confused us here. We're going to understand all the things that made us angry here. We're going to understand all the things that made us sad here. We're going to understand all of it. Like that. Right? It's not going to take thousands of years of God trying to explain it to us. We're going to get there and we're going to go, oh, yeah, you were right <laughs> about all of this. It's a little harder here. But when we die, you know, I don't know about you. I'm excited about it. I mean, I'm not trying, like, purposely, you know, seeking it out, but I'm just not afraid of it. And not because I'm so confident in myself. It's because I'm so confident. When the time comes for us to die, then comes the judges, judgment. And the word in Greek I thought was really interesting. It's krisis. Sound like a word you know? It's where we get our word crisis. Which is interesting because the word crisis, we tend to mean it's a disaster. Oh, it's a crisis. Everything's going wrong. That's not actually what the word means. The word means decision or justice. I find that interesting. Did you know, at least for me, my whole life I've always used the word crisis incorrectly. I didn't know that until three or four days ago when I, when I got to this part of the preparing for this message. But it's a time of decision or justice. What's the decision? I don't know. Salvation or condemnation. And one of two things will happen on that day. Those apart from Christ will be judged. They will be judged for their sin. They will receive eternal condemnation and be separated from God for all time. I put a bunch of scriptures in here that I encourage you to look up. Matthew 22, 33, Mark 9, 42 through 48, Matthew 25, 46. Those are all the words of Jesus Christ. Him telling us about eternal judgment. And then there's a few others like Sacrifice. 2nd Thessalonians 1, 8 through 9, Revelation 19, 20, and then 20, verse 10. Came here to feel good today, right? Eternal judgment is coming to anyone who doesn't know Jesus Christ. It's that simple. Now, there are those who teach that there will be no judgment. There are Christian 
Oh, that's not true. There are quote-unquote people who pretend to be Christians who teach that there will be no judgment. That everybody will go to heaven. That's wrong. There are people who teach that, well, the good people will go to heaven and the bad people will just cease to exist. There's no eternal consequence. That's wrong. Jesus told us, Jesus himself told us, there will be eternal condemnation for anyone who doesn't know him. And this isn't this isn't life in prison where, where you're brought three square meals a day and you get to watch TV. This is the most horrible, awful place. And we were never intended to go there. It was created according to the word of God for the devil and his angels, not for us. It's a place of weeping gnashing your teeth. Have you ever been in so much pain that you ground your teeth together as a result of it? I've done that. Things like the worm never dies. That's the one that bugs me. Actually, they all bug me, but that one really bugs me. What's the worm doing that it never dies and is related to your suffering? The only thing I can imagine is, is, is it's eating you. But you never run out of pieces to be eaten forever. How about the fire is never quenched? There's two ways I don't want to die. I don't want to drown, and I don't want to die in a fire if I'm awake. I don't, those are just two things. I can't imagine the pain uh, of either one. You all know how I want to die. I want to die wrestling a bear. John always shakes his head. I'm, when I get up there, right, and you know, maybe I maybe I make it to 85 or 90, and the doctor says, yep, you're on your way out. I'm going to go out in the forest. I'm going to make a bear angry, and I'm going to go out like a man. Okay, I'm probably not going to do that. It's just what I'd like. That way, when, oh, how did your father die? He died wrestling a bear. Come on now. That'd be a great thing to put on the tombstone. But I can't imagine the horror of eternal judgment. Especially, and this is the worst part of it all, separation from God. You've heard me preach this before, but I'm going to do it again. Because here on earth, nobody knows what it's like to be separated from God. Nobody. We, as followers of Christ, can experience the presence of God in our lives. But those who are apart from Christ are still not completely separated from God because they're breathing, because they're eating, or they have water to drink, or, or whatever it might be, or just the fact that God is omnipresent. He is everywhere all at once. Right now, for the atheist who's at home getting drunk, or the heroin addict who's sitting in a dark alley somewhere not wanting anyone to know, God is still there with them. His Holy Spirit pleading for them to come to him. But the day will come when they will be completely separated from his presence. That is the most frightening thing I can imagine. 
the most frightening thing we can do. For those of us who know Jesus, when our physical bodies die or when we are raptured, right? Cards on the table. I don't want to fight a bear. I want the trumpet to sound, my clothes to be neatly folded, which, you know, if you buy the movie version of it. I want to be gone. I want to be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. That, that's what I'm hoping for. It's what I'm praying for. That's what the word Maranatha means. I love that word. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But whether we die or we are raptured, we will immediately enter the presence of God through Jesus Christ, and we will be judged, but not for our sin. Jesus took that for us, but for reward before the judgment seat of Christ. And you have to compare these two seats. There's two judgment seats that we see in the Bible. The great white throne judgment of God and the judgment seat of Christ. Now in English, right, that doesn't mean much to us. But in Greek, it's a huge difference. Because the judgment seat of Christ in Greek is the word bima. The bima seat of Christ. And that word bima, it's actually a, a, a seat that had Olympic roots where they would give out rewards for Olympians in Greek. So this is the podium where you got your medal. Well, back then they got a, a wreath. But still, it was where you received your reward. Now, we're still going to be accountable for the things we've done, for every idle word we've spoken, so on and so forth. But none of those things will prevent us from entering the presence of God for eternity. That is a gift from Jesus Christ. But it will affect our eternal reward. We, we should care about that. This all shows up in places like 2 Corinthians 5.6, Romans 5.8-9, 1 Thessalonians 1.10 and 5.9, Romans 14.10, 2 Corinthians 5.10, and a host of other places. So what's the difference? What's the difference between condemnation, eternal suffering, and separation from God, and salvation? eternal justification, living in the presence of God. Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, 21 through 22. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And if you remember, when the disciples say, what must we do to do the work of God? Jesus said, this is the work of God, believe in him who sent me. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There are people right now all over this city, all over this state, all over this country who are sitting in a building that's something like this. They might be bigger, it might be smaller, it might be fancier. Maybe they've got smoke machines. We'll never have a fog machine on stage. Just it messes with your voice when you sing, and it's dumb. Um, we'll never have lights shining on the roof. This is God's house, not a disco. Dated myself just a little, didn't I? But 
But whatever house they're in, whatever building they're in, maybe they're meeting in a storefront, maybe they're meeting in a home, but they are sitting there, something like this. Maybe they sang songs. Maybe they had some coffee and a pastry. Maybe they filled out a little thing that said they were there. And, and maybe the guy standing up front is being faithful to teach this word, and they're sitting there going, I think I'm okay. That day's going to come, and he's going to say, I don't know you. I'm so grateful that that's not going to be me. And I'm going to work my butt off to make sure it's not you. And we as a church need to do our best to make sure it's nobody out there either. Because that day's going to come. And I'm not telling you this because I want you to doubt your salvation today. I'm not telling you this so that you'll call me later this week. Well, was that sermon just for me? No, it wasn't. It's the truth. It's not my truth. And that just scares me to death. Not for me. Not even for you. But I know a lot of people. I know a lot of people who I have tried to share the gospel with. People that I love. People who I, I'm concerned about. And all I want is what's best for them. Who've looked me in the eye. And they said, I think I'll be alright. Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. And this is the reality of the gospel. There is a real place of eternal condemnation and judgment. But no one has to go there ever. No one. God has done everything possible to save us from this. He has demonstrated his love by offering his son as a sacrifice for our sins, that whoever believes in him will have forgiveness and everlasting life because he took our sins on the cross. He bore them for us. And for all of us who turn from our sin and place our faith and open him, he gives us his righteousness. I quote 2 Corinthians 5.21 a lot. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The worst deal in history for him. The best deal in history for us. That's a great trade. You're going to take everything I've ever done wrong. You're going to take every thought, every motivation, every action, whether it was intentional or not. You're going to take every single one and die for it. And in exchange, you're going to clothe me purchased by your blood so that I can stand before the presence of God. That's the truth. And to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Jesus is coming again. He promised us in John 14, 1 through 4, that he is going to go away. He's going to build us a house. Created the earth in six days. Created the vastness of the universe. 15 billion light years across. Last I heard, maybe it's changed. Because they don't really know. 
He did that in a day. I can only imagine what our house is going to look like what he's been working on for 2,000 years. That's going to be a cool house. But he's coming back for all of us who believe. This may be through our individual death. It may be through the rapture of the church. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 53, 2 Thessalonians 2, Revelation 4. It's good for us not to be confused and be able to make the distinction between the rapture when we are gathered together to him and his second coming when Jesus physically sets foot on the earth in Revelation 19. Those are two separate events. And if you want to spend some time studying that, you can check out the Revelation study on uh, our YouTube page. But one way or another, Jesus is coming. He's coming for each of us. And when he does, it will be for the complete application of our eternal redemption. It has been purchased, and we who believe are saved in Christ. And when he comes for us, apart from coming to pay for our sins, which is what he did the first time, we will then receive everything he has promised us. Think about that. You spend a decent amount of time studying this book, you're going to start piling up all the promises that God has given us. And then you get to start thinking about, well, he's coming back. And when he comes back, that's what we get. I remember being a kid. It was a while ago. But I remember being a kid. I could never sleep on Christmas Eve. Anybody else? I'm 45. I still have a hard time sleeping on Christmas Eve. I love Christmas. And you know, it's different now because when I was a kid, it's because I couldn't wait to get up and see what I got. Now, it's because I can't wait to get up and spend the day with my family and have cinnamon rolls and bacon and see my kids open their presents. It's not as much fun now that they're a little older, but it's still fun. But it's like a kid on Christmas morning. That's how we should live our entire lives, with that expectancy, with that excitedness, with that energy. Because, guys, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for each of us. Now, you may walk outside, trip on a rock, and hit your head on the railing before you even get to the parking lot. I hope not. I really do. Or it may be 20, 30 years from now, you die of quote-unquote natural causes. Or it may be that the trumpet sounds and we go out. I don't know. But one way or another, he's coming. One way or another, he's coming. As we close... Jesus died as the perfect sacrifice for our sin. So he could establish and be the mediator of the new covenant, which then brings to us forgiveness from our sin, allows us to be clothed in righteousness, and lets us enter the presence of God through Jesus Christ and fills us with hope in the promises that he will fulfill on our behalf when he comes to bring us home. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you don't know that name, he wrote a really great book, and now the title of it has jumped out of my brain. Anybody know the title? What's that? The Cost of Discipleship. Yeah, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Great book. Highly recommend it. But he said this, God does not give us everything we want. We should be thankful for that. But he does fulfill his promises. 
leading us along the best and straightest paths to himself. It is to these promises that we hold. It is these promises that give us hope. And all the promises of God in him are yes and amen to the glory of God through us. I know today was theologically wealthy. We spent a lot of time. It's been a lot of that way as we've gone through the book of Hebrews. And so I'm left with two simple questions. Two sides of the salvation coin for anyone listening. And the first one, do you know him? I know most of the people in here, fairly well at least, or somewhat well, where I've met you. And it's simple. I think, I believe most of you have turned from your sin and come to Jesus for salvation. But maybe there's somebody watching online. Or maybe someone's going to stumble across this recording. People listen to our recordings from a, a lot of different places. And you hear this and you're like, I don't know. Do I know him? Have you turned from your sin? Have you come to Jesus for salvation and forgiveness? And if not, wherever you are, today is the day. And then the second one, and I, I, I'll tell you, I really prayed about putting this on here. I really, really did. Because when I first wrote it down, I was like, oh, Lord, that's, ooh, ooh. And then I went to take it out, and he said, no. Because the second question is, does he know you? When the appointed day arrives, what will he say? Will it be, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord? Or will it be, I never knew you? going to be one or the other. I'm not trying to get anyone to doubt their salvation in Christ. But here's the reality, folks. I'm kind of doing this a little bit selfishly. Because one day I will be held accountable before God for what I have taught. And there is no way that I will ever let anyone who listens to me preach not be sure of their salvation. I just won't do it. I'm not going to get to heaven and go, you know, you preached that sermon and those people were there and you weren't clear and they didn't get saved. Nope. Ain't going to happen. I don't mind if I make you uncomfortable because I don't want anyone to be comfortable in their own version of Christianity or to simply think they will be okay. But I want every one of us to know that we will be okay because we know Jesus and he knows us, which will let us rest firmly in the salvation purchased for us in Jesus Christ. If you're not sure, oh, that's easy. We can fix that real quick. Let me know. I'll pray with you. If you have questions, I'll do my best to explain it to you. But if there's any part of you Anybody listening who says, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Nope. I don't want to base my eternity on pretty sure. It's not the odds in Vegas. 
Well, that's a pretty sure thing. I, that's, I'm going to bet on that team, and I'll probably win. That is not how we approach eternity. You can be sure. Totally, completely, without any reservation. You just need to know Jesus Christ and know that he knows you. So if there's any doubt, let me know. Or let anybody know. I think anybody here would be glad to help you. If you're online, go to comment in the comments section. Go to our website, newsongunnison.net. Send me an email. I don't care. I will do whatever I can to help you. Because ultimately, it's not your sin. But if you can use me, I don't care. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and thank you for your great grace. And I thank you that we can know that salvation doesn't have to be a mystery. As a matter of fact, your word tells us that you have revealed the mysteries of God to us. Christ in us, the hope of salvation. You have offered to us this beautiful truth that we can be saved and that we can know that we are saved, not because anything we do, because of everything you've done. And I am so thankful for that. I pray for every one of us that's here that we would be able to rest in the knowledge of what Christ has done for us and that we would know that we would know you and that we would know that we are known by you so that we can say with confidence not in ourselves but confidence in you that we are saved anybody listening anywhere who may hear this recording and they don't know. Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, by the truth and the discerning power of your word, reach out, get a hold of them, and draw them to yourself. As we move out today, as we go about our day, as we go into our community, give us grace boldness to share this with everyone we know and even people we don't know in Jesus name